this is Jack Mitchell on SPO Perspectives, along here with the esteemed John Bricado. That's right. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen, we have a double segment episode, right, John? We do. We do. It's something a little different. We haven't done this before, but, you know, um, it's been a tough couple of days. You know, we're, we recorded this on Wednesday. You'll be listening to this on Thursday. But as many of you are probably aware, there was another mass shooting. That and 19 individuals right. lost their lives in a elementary school in Texas. So, you know, yeah. Jack and I thought it pertinent to... Absolutely. Folks. Absolutely. To bring on two individuals, one specializing in technology security and one specializing in personnel security. So it's a little bit longer of an episode, but we have Peter Newman. Yeah, yes. timely. Peter Noonan from Digital Provisions, who specializes in kind of tech security. And we have Peter Curcio at Aero Security that really kind of walks us through his wealth yeah. of knowledge from being in law enforcement for and such you know, a long I just time. Wanna, I just want to say real quick that, you know, there's so many folks here involved. There's also, I want to mention uh, Peter uh, LaDuca from NASA BOCES. He got back to me as well. He's the head of health and safety. He wasn't able to be on, but he did offer uh, some tips as well. And I think I'm gonna we're gonna have him on probably John later on yeah. here for health and safety yeah. for safety plans. But but this episode, ladies and gentlemen, I, I just cannot echo how much you know the sentiments here. We want you to really pick up on. And for those of you out there, we hope you you know you pick up on what you can and, and utilize that back in your districts. Yeah, and we hope you enjoy this interview with Peter from Aero Security and Peter from Digital Provisions. First up today, we have Peter Noonan. He's the Vice President of Sales at Digital Provisions uh, Security Company. Peter, welcome to the podcast. John, thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Jack. Absolutely. So maybe before we kind of get into the meat and potatoes of what we're talking about today, can you give us a little background on yourself and your company? Sure. I've been with Digital Provisions close to uh, seven years now. I've been in the security space for over a decade. Uh, I deal with over 30 school districts at present, and we specialize very simply in school security, keeping staff and students safe. Very and, good. and property, to include property, sure. Very good. Yeah, so we, we know... We made this episode special, right? Because we know last night what happened in Texas. And it's unfortunate, the chain of events that seemingly occur periodically throughout you know, US. And so with that, we have our school business official colleagues that we listen weekly. And we just wanna kind of give a tidbit. We have some questions here related to security and maybe you know everyone today is having these conversations. Maybe tomorrow when you listen to this, it could add a little more to you know what they're trying to do here because at the end of the day, we want to make sure we do provide not only a, a learning environment, but a safe and secure one for our children. Right. So, so I'll let John, you, if you want to get on it, we can roll into it. Yeah. So Peter, you know, you being in the security industry and, and working with school districts, you know, I'm sure you've seen a lot in, in your career and especially with the digital provisions. What do you find that many schools don't know how to respond to like a suspicious report or event? Like what, what do you think schools are, are kind of lacking right now? You know, I think that's a that's a great question, John. I think post Parkland, Florida, the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas incident, schools now, especially on Long Island, they're hyper vigilant as it pertains to suspicious activity. When I approached schools, I recently had a, had to visit a, a school district, an elementary school, in fact. And just after I got out of my car, security engaged me immediately. So without even 
being near the the entrance of the school, I was being uh, questioned, which I thought was outstanding. So this this this, this specific district, you know, they get an A plus with it with their internal policies. And is, they, is they that just, something that's that's atypical? Would you say? I mean, do, are you seeing a lot of school districts kind of be so proactive with their security and approaching visitors, or is this kind of a you know? I see it much more post Parkland, Florida. We we saw after Parkland, Florida, the amount of vestibules, security vestibules, man traps. That oh, yeah, was they went up. That was the end result of what happened mm-hmm. in Parkland. Ten years ago, I you know I could walk into a school with let's say a water balloon, and traverse the school and throw that water balloon against the principal's you know office wall. There was just no security. So. Now we're seeing it tighten down. You certainly had Sandy Hook, which was the impetus for all security. And then Parkland, Florida, I, I think, really drove the nail flush. Mm. So we, we had, the, we had the, the advent of the security vestibule. We call it security vestibule. It's more PC, but it's, a, it's, a, it's a, an unbelievably powerful tool because that person entering the school is being vetted before he, he's even let on right. premises. So that individual, we're getting identification from that individual. Mm-hmm. If, if there's a restraining order, if he's on a sexual predator database, we're ascertaining that prior to even entering the school. Also, too, the security people and admin have access to cameras in the security vestibule. They can observe the person's demeanor. Are they agitated? Are they... You know, something yeah. off here. So mm-hmm. if, if something is off there, that person is going to stay in that security vestibule until they can reach out to somebody from the security department to, to handle that. But if it's a typical parent, you know, they they can traverse the vestibule very easily right. and it's non-obtrusive. But I got to tell you, that tool has just, it's a quantum leap, leap in security for schools. Great. So, Peter, I, I want to ask this, you know, and I, I'd like to just preface and say that I know several years ago, uh, maybe even longer because the pandemic kind of clouds the memory here. We had Homeland Security coming around, right? They were doing sure. assessments in all the districts you probably are familiar. And one of the things that was stated was that you, you're only as good as, you know, your, your staff, right? Because even with the security vestibule in that procedure, what if somebody goes through the back door? And props it open. You know, what if somebody has a window up too high in, in the back, you know, of the, of the school building? There's no fence back there. So the question that I, I want to ask you then is how can school districts really better prepare their staffs to avert any potential security instances? That's that's a great question. And, you know, the policies are as only as good as the people that are following them. So schools have policies mm-hmm. in place, but it's it's so important to actually follow these procedures and 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 to kind of hold the staff and students, hold their feet to the fire in regards to, to following these rules. To your point, you can have a multi-million dollar security infrastructure that's negated by one door that's propped. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that time and time again. A good security system should involve a few things. We talked about the man trap or the security vestibule. That's one. Mm-hmm. The other is a door jar notification system. That's key. So if okay. I get if if you have a school and that door is propped open, which happens all the time, security and or admin should receive a text or an email if that door is propped open for more than 15 text. seconds. <laughs> 
No problem. No problem. So you're right. Door jar notification is key. And, uh, you, you know, you also want to keep, you know, you, you want to keep your, your, your processes current. We have experts in the field. You have Peter DeLuca from Nassau BOCES. You have Don Flynn, who's a security expert on Long Island. That's born on. He's, he's phenomenal. Many schools, they have to do by law four drills per year. Many schools exceed that. They'll do six drills. They'll do eight drills because the focus is, you know, truly on school safety. So some schools take their lockdown. There's lockdown and there's lock. We, we, we can talk about that down the road, but some schools take their procedures extremely serious. And when people break these, these procedures, you know, there's ramifications. You can't put a chair in a door. You know, if you're a teacher or a staff member and you're a smoker, you, you know, you can't prop a door open, things of that nature. Common sense. Lastly, I think for schools is one common operating picture. I see security personnel looking at multiple screens. They have the access control screen. They have the video surveillance screen and, you know, maybe some other screen. If you can capture everything through one common operating picture, you can have a non-technical security person see that a door is ajar, see that a door is open, see that a camera has picked up some nefarious activity. So instead of switching to different monitors, it's all through one picture that a non-technical person can. So we've seen, unfortunately, as history seems to repeat itself, you know, events like yesterday in Texas, I think school districts really take stock in what their security processes and procedures are. But rather than being reactive, you know, what can you say to school districts and school district business officials to be proactive? And what kind of questions should they be asking themselves about their overall security? Well, you know, they should certainly inter interface with their local law enforcement. Good collaboration with local law enforcement is outstanding. We have schools upstate New York that have direct connect with law enforcement. So law enforcement can actually take over their video cameras if need be. We have that in Suffolk County. We have that in a, a few locations in Nassau County. We're going to be seeing more of that. But, you know, I, I, I think an assessment, a good solid security assessment by a, a reputable professional is invaluable. Okay. So, yeah, I, I think that's the way to go. So how often should they have it? I just it came to my mind that question. Yeah. You know what? I, I think once a year is a safe number. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. You know, things change. Five years, but once a year makes, makes sense. Yeah. You know. Right. And, and, and local law enforcement, they know what's going on in that neighborhood. So there might be, let's say, for example, they might see an increase in gang activity or some other activity mm -hmm. that's going on that wasn't there a year ago, but it's now there. It could be a sports rivalry. It could be something really innocuous, but uh, eventually it, it might turn into something. Buster, yeah. yeah. You know, that, that yeah. reminds me when I was at a, a prior district, we had a great relationship with our local police department. And what we did towards the year, towards the end of one year was we actually did an active shooter drill where they simulated everything. So one of their officers was actually the playing an active shooter. We actually, we had students playing victims. It was a whole staged event, but it was a proof of concept to demonstrate that our relationship with our police department was strong. They knew our buildings inside and out, and they had access to our internal 
camera system so they could relay information from dispatch directly to the officers on site. So it was a really interesting proof of concept, but you know, it was very real feeling as I can imagine it, it would be in, in a real scenario, but it again, did really prove that it it's good to have that relationship with your local mm-hmm. police department. John, yeah. that's a great point. I, you know, I think these drills are, are important. They're valuable. They're realistic. So, you know, all parties involved see what it really looks like. And, you know, these are services that are available to all schools in Nassau. You can interface with, you know, I know Suffolk PD has Ed Hammer. He spearheads that initiative. And he also, you know, he helps us out with the tie-ins of the cameras with, with the police department. So, yeah, these these mock drills are valuable. You know, yeah. you can you can talk lockout, you can talk lockdown, but if you actually rehearse it, you know, mm-hmm. when things go down, people react with the training that they've been taught. Mm-hmm. So that's a yeah. great, it's a great example. Of, so Pete, of, let, let me move into further. The law yeah. enforcement local is great, right? Yep. Well, why do you think maybe it's also important to include past the community, right? In these conversations around security and, and, and if that's the case, what might be the best way to go about that, you know? Great question as well, Jack. I, you know, I think that the community should be hearing from the school district. They should be inviting the community in at school board meetings and actually showcasing their technology. Most of these, a lot of these people are non-technical people. So they, they might not know what their school district has. So if you invite either your security integrator or your director of security in and mm-hmm. actually demonstrate what's in place at the school, mm-hmm. I think the community is going to be impressed. Oh, I didn't know we had that. We have license plate recognition. I didn't know we had that. You know, we have we, we have uh, hot lists that people that are, you know, uh, not supposed to be on campus. We have lists like that. Right. We have, we have cameras that can see people's faces. You know, I, so most people don't know the security infrastructure that their, their district currently has. Mm -hmm. I think if they were given a non-technical overview of what they currently have, they would be impressed. Great. Thanks. Sure. And and so, what are you seeing now with the increase of, you know, mass shootings and threats to schools? What are you seeing as some of the best practices that you've come across for districts? And, you know, the, our listenership is, you know, it's, it's global at this point. So what what points can you make that would kind of transcend to all of our listeners, maybe not just, you know, in a segment of, the, of New York State? Good question, John. W- one fact that resonated with me, it always has is that is that no child or teacher has ever been injured in an active shooter behind a locked classroom door. So what we're seeing right now is that automating that process has, has uh, been a real home run. So historically, the, uh, students or, or staff has never been injured behind a locked closed classroom. So during mm-hmm. the lockdown, a lot of things are happening. People are nervous. What we see is if we automate the locking of the classroom doors, that's a home run. Some schools go above and beyond. They put ballistic film on the windows of the doors or even the exterior windows of the classrooms. And this is not, this is not TV stuff. This isn't bulletproof glass. It's ballistic shielding. It's, it's about as thin as three sheets of paper together. And it's extremely effective. So any active shooter would have a tremendous amount of 
issues penetrating a window that had this ballistic shielding. But okay. interior classroom locking automation, I think, is a home run. That's that's what we're seeing. First, we saw schools, they, they did the right thing. They secured all the exterior doors, and then they went into the interior classroom doors. So during a, a good, effective lockdown, a teacher does not have to do anything except keep her children secured in that class until that door automatically locks, which will be in seconds. So, so historically, they're going to be safe. So, what, so that's what we're seeing. So what if, in, in an event that that happens? I mean, what about maybe a kid that's out in the hall or in a restroom or something like that? What would be the solution there? That's great. We have sweep teams. Uh, a lot of schools have sweep teams. So every other classroom, the teacher is instructed that they have 15 seconds before that door locks. So they, some, school, some schools have 10 seconds. You have 10 seconds to go out in the hall, sweep the kids into your classroom, and that door will automatically lock. Mm. So we've seen this to be very effective as long as you train. You're only as good as your training. Right. Correct. Yeah, it's good. Wow. This is great, Pete. I mean, you know, we're going to also be talking to a former law enforcement officer as well um, with security company. But to get your perspective from a you know company that really handles, right, all these things and trainings, installing these other measures is great. And your experience in with the district's Really, I think it's going to lend a hand to our listeners. So we thank you again for coming on um, such quick notice and providing this information for everyone. My pleasure, Jack. John, it's been a pleasure as well. Thank you, Peter. Great. Thanks. Next up, we have Peter Curcio. He is the Chief Operating Officer at Aero Security. Peter, welcome to the podcast. Welcome, thank Peter. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, we appreciate you joining us on such short notice, but given, you know, everything that's happened you know, yesterday and, you know, 10 days ago in Buffalo, we thought it would be really pertinent to have somebody with your stature on to kind of talk us through some really important points regarding security. So before we really get into too much, can you give us a little bit of background on yourself and Aero Security? Sure. Myself, I am a uh, retired bureau chief of the Department of a correction, but I guess pertinent to what we're discussing here. I was commanding officer of the gang unit, 35 investigators and PD sergeants and a 9-11 responder. And I've been at the helm at Arrow Security now for about nine years as chief operating officer, a super regional company with about 2,200 employees in several states, uh, mainly on the East Coast. And we have a number of schools. I'm also a uh, FBI executive fellow, so I've been detailed to the FBI in Washington and a graduate of their programs and a licensed New York State private investigator and a former emergency management commander for JetBlue. Wow. Wow. wow so, that's extensive. I yeah, just see the resume. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So as I said- I'll add one more that's probably relative to this. I, I am a consultant for the Department of Justice. I just came back from Oklahoma last week, but I, I run wow. two programs. I either train newly appointed prison wardens or I do physical security audits for, for prisons, both the uh, domestically and I've done the Giuliani Partners International in uh, awesome. in Brazil. So had a fun fun time in the security industry and just okay. sat by the events yesterday. Oh, I came home, my wife was uh, crying literally. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was tough Lots. for a lot of us, especially those in education and, you know, anybody who has who has a family, really. So, you know, given your experience, you know, pri prior to speaking to you, we had another individual on this that specializes in actual security systems like cameras and doors and things like that. But we wanted yep. to talk to you. His name was Peter, too, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so it would yeah. have been harder at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To get more of an introspective look at just kind of the personnel and preparing and what you can do from a security standpoint. So 
in your extensive experience, I mean, where are you seeing school districts falter in terms of responding to maybe it be some uh, suspicious activity or uh, a known threat? Like where, where can schools improve and where can they do better to be proactive? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say falter because that's, that's a bad word. And we have a number of districts. One of the, you know, one of the good things they did recognize that, recognizing that they need strategic partners. You can't be alone in mm-hmm. insecurity and security comes in a multitude of layers. So I know you spoke to a, a techno- technological security specialist prior to me coming on and we handle physical security. We don't do uh, cameras. We do ca- camera monitoring. We do alarm response. Right. We do things like that. But we mainly provide security guards. And one of the big questions for schools now, especially in Long Island here, is you know, do we go with armed coverage or do we go with unarmed coverage? Uh, do we increase security staffing? We've seen, uh, you know, even prior to the shooting, an increase in just about all of our schools with with coverage. So they they've ramped up, you know, more doors or more patrols and more coverage within the, the schools. And they've been a little more strategic. And, and two of our schools even put on command centers to monitor activity 24 hours uh, a day. We, you know, strongly encourage them to to network with local law enforcement, but, and I guess not one of the flaws, but one of the, one of the, the, the deficit, I, I mentioned that I ran the, the gang intelligence unit and we used to take a prison intelligence and use it to solve street crimes and, you know, get, get information from the prisoners. And I've done a lot of active shooter presentations and attended stuff. And, and what we find in, in almost all the cases is that there was something called leakage where somebody knew something uh, they didn't think it rose to the level of, you know, reporting it to someone. They, someone's mm-hmm. fooling around. It's not true. They're kidding around or they don't mean it. Uh, and and you really have to take those things seriously and critical. And and these are these are lay people that are getting the information and they don't realize how important that intelligence is and for connecting the dot. And if people could intercept things a little bit earlier I, mm-hmm. I, I, in one of the last shoot with the backpack in school, the educator knew the day before that there was a backpack in in in, in the uh, in the firearm, and then uh, he ultimately used it. In yesterday's case, it's still preliminary, so I don't want to speak back. Mm-hmm. The, the preliminary information is that other people saw posting social media. Wait till you see what happens tomorrow. And they, they their thought was he wasn't going to uh, do anything. And you know, in our business in security, we tell someone you know you see a car pull into the driveway, and then they see you and pull out. There's something going on there. You know, treated as suspicious. Maybe somebody did you know pull the driveway the wrong way. Same thing with school, you know, so if, and you have a lot of resources, you have bus drivers who are vendors in most cases, you have lunch aides, you have janitors, you have people all over the school and inside the school that hear and see things that they may not think are relative, but if you raise their consciousness and then give them an avenue on which to direct the information, it might help collect some better intelligence. And, you know, one of the things we did in the jail, and it sounds crazy to to presume that it would work, but we set up a confidential hotline where you can Mm -hmm. call in and give any information without revealing your name or where you're calling from. And why would prisoners call in on other prisoners to say where weapons are hidden, where where drugs are, because they want to play safe. And there are some people that want that. So mm-hmm. I think if you provide an avenue, you know, you have to go with the, I teach a course on generation. So not everybody emails like you and I in the older generation. So if you set up a text, you know, anonymous text system, if you set up a, a box where they could, you know, school people can drop a note in anonymously, that's not monitored by a camera, it may give them some safety and security. And then educating the parents, you know, in a lot of these cases, sure. uh, these things start in the home. The parents see something, they don't know who to reach out to, they don't want to get the kid in trouble. If they offer, you know, a confidential avenue for them to report out or for people to report out on friends or things they see without with impunity, 
then we may be able to collect some more intelligence and 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 things. So that the biggest thing for me is you know being a uh, private investigator. There's, there's mm-hmm. intelligence there that maybe the district isn't capitalizing on, and they're just worried about their layers of physical and technical uh, security and focus a little bit more. I think that's a resource you know that they can collect continuing intelligence. Yeah, great piece. So you know. That, that sounds like a lot of the unaligned, right, um, which is key. Being able to, you know, ha- pick up on those things, have the perception ability to catch it beforehand. But let's say you're past that point. And I know we asked this question prior. And, and I think that, you know, I may even add to it because I, I'm thinking like, well, you can have all security in the world, right? And the way I position it is that what happens if someone pops open the back door, you know, and like, you know, like you just alluded to how you can prepare some of the staff, like janitorial folks who can be kind and aware of things, but that leak could come at the wrong time, you know, and someone can come in. How can school districts perhaps better prepare their staff? I'm, I'm even thinking also how, let's say somebody comes in during the start of the school day, because then the, the doors are more apt to be open then, right? Because mm-hmm. kids are coming in, staff's coming in. Just, you know, in general, how can school districts better prepare their staffs to avert these potential security instances? Right. So, I mean, it really, each school really has to customize to its demographic and its population, how many students they have, what type of students mm-hmm. they have. If you have older uh, adults, then you might be dealing with gang issues. If you're dealing with younger children, you might have, you know, custody issues or, 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 you know, what, what, threats with, uh, abduction. So, and, and in both cases, active shooter. So it really depends. So you want to look at your parent drop-off points. You want to look at your parent drop-off times. You maybe you want to stagger your, your times. Maybe you want to have a contained door, you know, in, in, in facilities we call breaking gates where, you know, even if someone got in, they can't get past a certain area because only that portion, almost like a ship where they, they, they close all the, the, uh, the gates between areas where, the, the access and control are limited, you know, based on how far you can get in, in the institution. You may need to label outside the school. You know, I understand yesterday they knew the, the shooter went into one particular classroom, and I could probably guarantee the outside of the building wasn't labeled classroom 20. So when responders come in, they don't know that's the room that we have to access from the outside, you know, whatever they're, they're, they're doing. Uh, schools have to share floor plans with local law enforcement. They have to be familiar that they invite them in. They have to walk the halls and be extremely familiar with, with what to do here. But as far as the security posture, open doors, you mentioned, you may need to take away access. There are obviously fire exits in schools, so they need to be locked, but they need to be probably alarmed. And a lot of schools that I patrol, I don't see all the fire doors are alarmed. I see people okay. use objects to prop. That's I spoke to one of our, our synagogue schools this morning about mm-hmm. the chairs and the, and the wooden blocks they use to chalk open the, the doors yeah. and the caterer leaves the door open in the back. And they don't realize that these are all potential areas of, of entrance into the uh, the school. Camera surveillance, you know, I talked to them about cameras that monitor motion detection to a central station. So not every officer can watch all the cameras and they're doing escort and patrol duties. So you want to look at, at all those. It's a pretty mixed bag, but just making sure you control your entrance, exits, pretty well. And if the doors are open for for students coming in and out, you talk about high or we call peak areas or high volume times of traffic, then maybe somebody at the school is maintaining access control of the door where somebody's doing uh, surveillance and observation on the drop-off and, and pickup and monitoring uh, traffic. 
So Peter, I'd like to go back to something that you had mentioned prior. You were talking about reporting incidents or reporting concerns about individuals. I want to dive into that a little bit more. How do you kind of discern and filter through the noise? Because especially with our field, we're dealing with a lot of adolescents that are going through a lot of different things. And maybe they say things that aren't credible. Maybe they're saying things that are credible. So are you saying it's best to err on the side of caution and report anything you find suspicious? Or is there kind of a mechanism that people can use to kind of filter through credible versus non-credible threats? Yeah, an experienced professional is going to be able to, you know, they'll they'll have conversations. Generally, you don't speak to the subject first, you'll collect intelligence. But I don't think the person that's getting the information or doesn't know to report it doesn't know enough how to discern what's important and what's not. And apparently that that seems to be true in yesterday's case. An experienced professional, if if I was going to interview somebody, and I've interviewed, you know, thousands of, of, of folks, I generally will do some history check on them. You know, I may speak to some people, you know, I wouldn't call them, you know, CIs in the school, but there's people that, you know, that take an affinity to the security staff that have a relationship with security staff. And they may say, well, hey, what do you know about this kid? I heard this. What do you think about that? And then they'll, you know, they'll speak to maybe some of the prime educators and, you know, and then maybe they'll look at the school history, any security history they have on them. And then, you know, soft interrogation, maybe do some surveillance on them to see if anything, maybe do some, you know, a random you know, bag check or, or whatever they're going to do in a particular area. So it doesn't look like it's targeting them, but it just looks like you happen to be caught in, you know, something, you know, that that's going on. So you, you know, you have a kind of rouse, but an experienced professional would know how to do that. And they would hopefully be able to decipher what is real and what is, is not. And usually these things don't come out of the blue. There's some history, you know, where someone says, yeah, that person acted strange. That person seemed withdrawn. That person, you know, is, is this or that. So if it's a, uh, uh, fellow student or a parent or something, would your advice be to report it to the authorities regardless if they think it's credible or not, and then leave it up to the authorities to kind of discern if that's a, a true threat? Well, it, again, you, you don't, you're not going to report every concern. If someone says somebody's hanging out by the back door in school and you you do an investigation, you find out he was waiting for his friend and the video shows that, but anything that can't be explained or anything that looks suspicious to a trained professional or somebody that's on the security team, then they should refer it for further investigation and certainly involve law enforcement. And law enforcement may at that point be able to share some information with you and say, yes, we know this kid dropped out of school last year. We do have a you know a juvenile desk appearance ticket on him or whatever the case may be. Or they may share with you that he has a firearm. You know, when I do, I do background checks now on some PI work. The first thing I look for is to see if someone has possession of a firearm, you know, a legal firearm, because that that would you know, concern me that they have access to, you know, to, and means to do something. So uh, in this particular case, the 18-year-old had a lawful firearm. So if somebody looked further into it, they would, you know, take a look at that. Mm. Right. And so, I mean, the, the next question I have then is, you know, given your wealth of experience, you know, I'm sure you've seen a lot of do's and don'ts in school districts. So, you know, what can school districts do to kind of internally audit their own security team and practices to better be prepared for incidents like we saw in Texas? Okay. So, so generally an independent set of eyes is always helpful. So when, you know, we go in, there hasn't been a school that I've gone into where I haven't given them some suggestion or advice and they're not, you know, charging us as, as a consultant, which is generally coming into the security contract and we're not contracted for that, but there's always more you could do. I've done a lot of presentations and uh, if you want to hear the irony in this is I feel myself going into the building by a different door. You know, I go, I wait, go to a door. I wait to the student. Can you open up the door for me? They open up a side door. They let me in. And then I start my lecture saying that, hey, 
we have a problem here because one of the students didn't know who I was and let me in the side door. And without fail, I generally can get into to the schools when I do this. So it, it opens up, you know, an aha moment for education. And I say, I'm deputizing everybody here in the school. You need to be part of my security team. And I'm not going to give you a badge, but I'm going to give you authority to report back out to me or, or the school administrator on things that you see that are suspicious. And I get into an education about, you know, what leakage is and how they probably see things that don't, don't, you know, really make a lot of sense to them, but then connect the, we connect the dots. So I would say an independent eyes, even if it's cross-referencing one school district to the other, because it's always best practices. So if somebody, you know, if the school districts had a consortium of security professionals and say, hey, why don't you do, you know, a self-audit on my school using this instrument? And they went in and they checked for doors and windows and outside signage and cameras and do you cover this and gates and pickup times. I'm sure each school can, can help support each other on some best practice that they're not doing or something that they've seen or something they've uh, observed. As far as soliciting the, the intelligence from the community, communicating to the educators and sitting them down, you know, and I, I love to do this, you know, because I'm really passionate about it. But, you know, and, and we just picked up, I don't want to reveal the name, actually, three new school districts, but there's one very big school district in Jersey. But I'm very excited to do their security orientation for September, nice. where I'm going to go in and give them you know, impart my experience, not only from managing security in all the schools that our security does, but also from the criminal intelligence and, and you know, murder for hire investigations and all the things that I've been in. And, and you know, so I, I guess if, if one of the administrators from the school, the superintendent speaks to their team, it doesn't carry the same validity as if I'm doing it. And so they, 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 they trust that I know what I'm talking about. And I really emphasize and make a point that, you know, hey, I know you've heard it before. See something, say something. People don't do it enough and you're not getting anyone in trouble. You know, and that's, that would be a big mistake is when people report stuff and then they post their name on the board and say, hey, this one gave me this information. I never would tell anybody that someone shared information with me. You know, I always find a rouse to say we found out a different way or we're looking at it. Or we saw you on camera or we saw this or that. So you never reveal yeah. or burn your, your source of intelligence because then you won't get more intelligence and other people won't trust you. But you find a confidential way to just investigate, you know, the, the concern further. Do you think it's important to really include the community in these conversations that school districts may have surrounding security and, and essentially what might be the best way to go about, you know, let's say that I know that some cases they're going to say, well, should we have an armed security guard or should we have armed security? Should we have formal detectives or not? You know, but I think that there is a lot of questions as far as how much input school districts should give communities. And I just want to get your take on it, Pete. Yeah. I mean, we'll get into the type of security. It's one of the things I tell all my, my clients never to reveal. You don't want people to know if they're armed or unarmed. You know, Correct. Uh, it's concealed. And I don't want them to know the degree of, of knowledge, you know, or training that they, that they have. So yes. generally I, I tell them not to reveal that. People ask me, do you have a gun on? And I say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to share that information with, with you. <laughs> but getting into the community, the, these these kids and their parents visit the local subway shop, the local deli, the local vape shop, the, the, the sure. places in the community. And in some cases, they're not creating ill intent. In other ways, you know, maybe they're littering, they're loitering, they're doing things. But there's intelligence there with the community. And I think there's an obligation of the school to be a good partner in the community to keep the you know, the streets and environment in and around their school community, you know, in, in good stead. 
So they need to be, they need to share intelligence. There's a lot of mutual needs of the constituents uh, within these, the, the business community in and around the, uh, the school. And once you make relationships like that, a cop on the beat, you will certainly collect some intelligence and they'll tell you, you know, things that you may not know that you should know. You know, I, we call it lifting rocks. If you lift up enough rocks, you'll find some stuff underneath. And, and you sure. know, unfortunately, in today's school environment, I think that's something that you need to do. Are you seeing a trend with school districts right now that prefer armed guards versus unarmed? Or is there really no data to show that, you know, schools might be trending one way versus? I could speak to, to on, on the east and northeast here, and I'd seen, I, I see they're weighing it. You know, and I had a conversation this morning with one of my colleagues, and I said, I think this is going to push more of the, the Nassau and Suffolk and New York clients towards armed security for the, uh, the schools. And in most Probably. cases, it's, it's a panacea, you know, mm-hmm. where I don't think, you know, I, I think if you have a good security program, it's, it's, it, it's not going to mitigate that much. There's risk to come with having, you know, firearm in school as well, too. And then there's a, you know, another fear factor of people that are fear people around firearms. I think mm-hmm. it's, it's better to have a good access control system, a good security program, a good staff, a dynamic security leader, and a security you know, community, uh, mm-hmm. including those neighbors and, and businesses in and around the school. I think that's more important than the proverbial argument, whether on versus unarmed. I think they're both, they both have their, their needs. You know, it, it could depend on what district you are, what challenges you're, you're facing. I don't want to single out any, any district. There are some districts that are facing, you know, children, school-aged children with bringing in firearms, and, and there's a challenge there too. And that's why people ask me, do you need, you know, x-ray machines? And it really depends on the problems you're having in school. I don't, I don't want to start out with the base of x-ray machines because that brings in, you know, almost a, a jail type of mentality. Yeah. To that. So you've got to balance your security needs with your, with, with you know, the, the, the comfort and, and aesthetics of your, of your facility and being conducive to mm-hmm. To learning because you don't want kids being distracted by by these these machines. So it really depends on the district, the district needs, what you're finding, what you need, and that that kind of stuff should be customized. Great, great. And so you know, just wrapping up, what kind of advice and what best practices can you give to our listeners here on the podcast? You know, maybe not specific to to New York State, but just anyone listening uh, wherever they are in the world. You know, what would be your advice to kind of move forward proactively? The number one word, preparedness. So, so okay. I, 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 one of the things I find most common is that when I say well, do we have post structures, do we have emergency orders? Oh, I think we have them somewhere. Or, or let me go take a look. Or yeah, we have to update those. And it tells me that, you know, not familiar with it, didn't practice it. When, when I worked in jail facilities, we had a hanging on the control room, a post instruction and a, and a procedure for anything that could happen, including shootings in jails, riots, and and frequently as a ship commander, I would pull down that policy and I would go to the letter of the law and we practiced this, we did what's called tabletops. So we'd invite in our partners with the fire department, we'd invite our partners with the sheriff's office, we'd invite our partners with, with uh, local public safety, and they'd know us, we'd know them, they'd know the facilities. And we'd practice, we'd have lunch together. It would be almost lunch and learn. These things would last about two hours. We'd talk about, and you'd say, oh, yeah, oh, I didn't know we need keys for that. Oh, I didn't know you get to the building. And you kind of, you know, walk through those, those problems. And, and you can never do enough of that. I'm not saying they're not doing it now, but you can never do enough of it because through repetition, you'll gain a confidence. And, you know, you can never prevent even the most fortified buildings. The, the Virginia Navy 
yard, even World Trade Center was hit, you know, was hit twice. And these are pretty fortified buildings. But the more you prepare for something like this, the more comfortable you'll feel in, in this environment. You know, I suggest if they're not doing it now, there's a very good course and it's quick to take FEMA active shooter course. Anyone could take it. You just go online. It's, it's by Homeland Security. You just go to the FEMA website. You, you, you know, as an educator, I was an adjunct at Briarcliff. All the educators there had to take the active shooter course. And behind every classroom door was a list of all the, all the emergency things that could happen in a school. And all the educator had to do was lock the door, put the wedge under it, and flip to his chart. And just knowing the comfort that you have those things there, that we discussed this, that I've already had the active shooter training, that all my colleagues have had the same training that I've had. And it really, you know, it was a fairly simple course and it's simple information, but when you kind of go through it, you know, when I was, when my kids were young, it may sound silly, but I used to uh, blindfold them, pretend we had a fire in the house and I made them go out two different ways. I made them, you know, go out the window, feel for it, do that and walk down the stairs. Unfortunately, oh. when I was a young kid, two houses away, two young children died in the fire, but my kids had a confidence if I call them, hey, daddy can't get to you, it's smoky, that they would be able to, we've done this before. You know, I, my, I have three girls. I didn't just buy them chemical agents, the, the spray, we test it. So they go in the backyard, you know, people may think that you spray, it comes out straight, it doesn't. It comes out, you know, with, with a little bit of an arc and there's a little bit of an act to it. You gotta make sure you don't spray yourself, but they're comfortable to use these devices. And the same thing goes to schools. I don't think there's enough practice. I don't think they're involving, you know, enough of their, community partners in this. And my suggestion would be to do more tabletops, make familiarization with your local partners. They would respond to your school emergency. And it just gives people a little bit of comfort level that, hey, if the unthinkable happens here, at least we got some type of plan, you know, that we're going to move along. Great. Well, this is great, Pete. This is good stuff. I mean, for our listeners, they're going to really be able to have certified methods. And also that that course, we appreciate that as well. I think that, you know, this is real timely and it can't, it can't be. I'm going to send you the link to the course after the, the webinar and, and they even get a certificate printed down. So you have a proof. Oh, great. They can submit to their administrator okay. uh, that they completed the course. And then, you know, in some cases they'll even get credit. You know, we, we, we have our officers do it. All of us school officers take this course when they mm-hmm. send a certificate of completion, then we issue them an hour's training time for taking the, the course. And we have some advanced courses under Homeland Security that we make. Awesome taking idea. Too, yeah, we'll make sure, yeah, we'll make sure to put the link to all of that in our show notes so people can get to it. Great. Mm-hmm. All right, people. Thanks again. You, you definitely enjoyed your afternoon. And thanks for coming on so fast. We appreciate it. Thanks, gentlemen. Right. My pleasure. Take care. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope that you got something out of this episode. You know, this is a very, very difficult topic to discuss, especially so close to the event happening. But again, we thought it was really important to bring these two individuals on. And, you know, it's both Jack and I being in schools, this is something that really hits close to home. And, you know, uh, I don't want to get on too much of a soapbox, but, you know, thoughts and prayers are only going to take us so, so far with all of this. So, you know, I really hope that, you know, what, what is it going to take to, to see these things turn around? I don't know, but you know, we Correct. can, we have to do everything we can right now with the, mm-hmm. you know, the laws that, that are given to us to, to make this a viable community for our students. Kudos to both Peters as well um, for helping us for really turn this around less than 24 hours. You know, John and I were, were going to come on and just talk about it. Right. Right. And just have the episode. But you know, we've had those episodes before with just us, but we really want to get the people timely and pertinent and that, that was helpful here. So, we hope you enjoy it. We hope you pick this up. And from 
from our mic to yours, this is Jack Mitchell, one with the scene John Picado. Thanks, everyone. Bye.